All right, well, uh, good, uh, good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Rich Andrews here, Pastor CVC, and I am really excited about what God wants to do today. As I've been praying, I think God wants to do something uh, pretty important. Uh, so go back, I'll go back to earlier this week. So I was scrolling on Facebook um, earlier this week, something I do, um, according to my kids, apparently, because I'm an old middle-aged person, because... Only old people use Facebook. I don't use Instagram, TikTok, forget about it. Too many security breaches for the United States, so that's why I don't use that. But anyway, uh, I noticed one of, the, one of the little slides that came up or whatever it is, I saw the, the profile background picture. You know how you can set a background picture for, one of your, for yourself, and then there's your picture and then the background picture? And it was one of my friends from high school. He was a good friend. I sat, him, I sat with him at lunch as did like six other people, other guys. And in the picture was everybody, in the picture it was his wedding, and it was everybody that was at my lunch table that was in his wedding, and then except me. And I was like, hmm. I was like, wow, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't even invited to that wedding. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that, that kind of hurts a little bit. And I, I mean, this is like from 25 years ago, and yet I'm sort of like thinking about this as if this is like something that's kind of bothering me. Like, this shouldn't bother you, come on. I'm like, but really, this is. I mean, I, I guess it's like this, this idea of being excluded. You know, brought back some past experiences I had in high school with other friend groups and things like that. And uh, I don't know if you ever felt that, but have you ever heard of FOMO? FOMO? You got to get Mo FOMO? So FOMO is fear of missing out. It's an actual thing. So you, um, FOMO, okay, basically, if you don't know what FOMO is, okay, after, after, uh, after work, you're sitting on your couch, you got your phone in one hand, bag of Doritos in the other hand, scrolling through and just really basically feeling sorry for yourself because you're missing out on all the wonderful, marvelous things your friends are doing, but you're not doing. And you're just, all you're do is resigned to just sitting on your couch eating your Doritos and Cheetos. That's what FOMO is, okay? And, but it's a real, very real thing that we have uh, these psychological responses. In fact, some of these social media apps feed on the psychology. It's built around psychology of people and how they respond and they elicit certain kind of feelings. I mean, you can name each of the feelings for each of the apps, like, you know, Twitter kind of gets you angry or Instagram gets you envious, so on and so forth. I guess uh, FOMO is what uh, uh, Facebook is fomenting. I don't know. But uh, in any case, it's an issue that people are dealing with. And then put that on the backdrop of what we've talked about, I mentioned it before, of, of cancel culture. So if you don't agree with someone's perspective, eh, cancel. It's like the buzzer, what is that, AGT? Eh, big X. So you don't agree with me, eh, you're canceled. But it's not just like canceling their opinion. I mean, that's one thing, to disagree with someone. But it's then to just like, your personhood is completely dismissed because you don't agree with what I think, you know, about how uh, the politics or whatever, you know, fill in whatever issue is going on. I mean, this, this is the culture in which we live today, ladies and gentlemen. The spirit of rejection is alive and well and is invading all of our living rooms and head spaces and relationships, and it can be psychologically and spiritually and emotionally crippling. So we could, if we wanted to, we're not going to do this, I promise, but we could go around the room and have people stand up, and each, each of you, why don't you share a rejection story? Each of us could, could share a story. Um, I have certainly have my stories. We'd hear stories of kids uh, being condemned, ridiculed, ignored by their parents. 
Uh, we'd hear stories of spouses who were cheated on or rejected by their husband or wife through divorce or separation. We'd hear stories of people being treated rudely in public just because of their ethnicity. We'd hear stories of boyfriends or girlfriends um, publicly shaming their ex because of something they said or did or because of insecurity they had. We'd hear stories of kids on the, on the playground being rejected by, by other children. Um, even just this week, one of my kids was attacked on the playground. Someone pulled out a knife on him, believe it or not. So one of these, and it's like, okay, like, this is the, kind of the world we live in. We're experiencing, no matter what age you are, you're not immune from rejection. The messages are clear, whether they're subtle or outright. Uh, you may have been fired from work. You felt like you were mis, misjudged by people at your workplace. You may have been unfairly uh, mistreated by church leaders or just rejected because you weren't cool enough from the cool group, uh, whether online or in person. And then on top of all that, maybe because of a compilation of different experiences you've had, your worst, the worst person that's rejected you is yourself. And you begin to internalize these feelings that you think you're, should be rejected, that that becomes the narrative by which you live, that you think of yourself under those kind of narratives that just drive the way you interact with those other people. You know, and sometimes we don't even realize, many people, we've all experienced this in one degree or another. I mean, I just sat, I just was in a, a meeting of pastors, and pastors experience this in a whole different way that only pastors can understand, uh, whether it's from people leaving or people within the church or uh, just general culture. Uh, I just pastor after pastor shared their story this week with me, and it's like, man, we, we can really relate to this, to this idea. And, you know, on the surface, you might look okay, you might look good. You might be flashy or have a nice smile. And that's good. You should have a nice smile. You know, Dale Carnegie, you know, how to win friends and influence people. It tells you smile. That's a good thing. It's a way to show respect for other people, right? To, to, to just smile. But deep down inside, there might be some rejection that you're carrying around. And, it's, and I think, it, I believe, and I think God's word shows us that this is an issue that God wants to address. And specifically, Jesus addresses this issue both indirectly and directly quite, quite often. You know, the good news, as we remember, so we're in um, Holy, Week, Holy Week, so let's see if I'm, we're working here. I think I'm on, but uh, you're going to have to help me out here. So you can move, go to the title slide. Thank you. Uh, so we're talking about, we're Holy Week, the, the sermon series is called The Mystique of Holy Week. And we remember what Jesus did, who Jesus is, is he's a guy, even today, that accepts people who have felt and experienced rejection throughout their life. Take one example. Matthew, the tax collector, couldn't get more rejected than this guy. I mean, he, he basically threw his entire community under the bus and raked them for all their money. He was a social reject, and Jesus accepted. So whether you've been rejected a little, whether you've been rejected a lot, the good news is Jesus accepts us and accepts you right where you are. And this is what I want to talk about today as we look at a particular story that Jesus told during Holy Week. And so today's uh, message is titled, The Stone the Builders Rejected. So let's, let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll jump into the passage for today. Thank you for your presence, God, that is always with us. And as we get closer to Holy Week, 
I pray that the sense of your holy presence would increase within us. That we would draw closer to you. And as we become closer to you in your holiness and who you, who you are, that we too, God, would become like you. Holy Spirit, would you do a good work and dig, dig deep today, but do so in the way that you do, full of grace, full of truth and grace, so that we may become more whole, more holy in, light, in the light of your, your, your holy presence. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Okay, so the scene, so I'm going to just ask you guys just to flip through for me. It'll be pretty straightforward, but uh, so the scene takes place. So it's right after the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He gets a pretty good uh, welcome there, Palm Sunday. He kicks out all the buyers and sellers in the temple, prophetically signaling this is the end of the temple era because the ultimate sacrifice, where a temple where all these sacrifices are made, the ultimate sacrifice is here and is going to be made. And within a few days, Jesus himself was going to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Now, in, the, in all of this, the religious leaders were furious. They were so mad. And the only thing keeping them from killing Jesus or doing something, whatever they could to him in that moment, was that he was so popular with all the people. So they were afraid if they did something like that, the people would revolt, which they would. And so they kept, it was the only thing keeping them, keeping him safe at this point. And so the leaders, what they could do is they could question Jesus. So they said, like, what, why are you doing this? By what authority are you, are you doing this? And then he kind of does this interchange with them and says, well, why don't you tell me what authority this? And he doesn't really answer their question directly, but he then does answer the question by telling a story. And so Jesus uh, in his masterful way, and I always wondered if he, he's able to, is he come up with these parables off the top of his head, or is he actually like think of them in advance, and then kind of like pulls it out like, oh yeah, there's this guy who was uh, planted a, I don't know, I, I always thought it was kind of, I mean, I, he's the most brilliant person who ever lived, so I imagine some of these just came off the top, top of his head, but in one of his own brilliant ways, he tells this amazing story that answers the question, and boom, gets right to the heart of the matter. And this is what we read in Matthew 21. Let's read it together. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my, uh, my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then Jesus looks to the crowd and says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he, he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now, as we reflect on this story, Jesus really captures the heart, heart of God, Jesus being God in, in the flesh. And I don't know if you ever, ever thought about this, but that God, of all the beings who've ever been rejected in the, in the world, that God has been rejected much more and understands rejection more than much than any of us could possibly understand. So in this story, God is the vineyard owner. Okay, so he's making this, this parable, he's this illustration. And the parable, this parable of a vineyard is actually not the first time that this particular illustration has been used throughout scripture. If you, if you turn in your Bibles, you don't have to, but if you want to go back and look as a reference later on, Isaiah chapter five, the first few verses there, like one to six, there's a parable of God planting a vineyard and he basically goes through all these painstaking details to build this beautiful, uh, this beautiful vineyard. And, and in the process, and the vineyard, in this, in this illustration in Isaiah, is a picture of God's people. And so when you plant a vineyard, you don't plant it just to make it look good. You plant it for a purpose. The purpose is to produce grapes that are good fruit that then can produce wine. So then you can get a return on your investment. And you can, or you can just enjoy drinking lots of wine, I guess. You could do it that way as well. Or both. Probably both. So what ended up happening is vineyard was bad ended up only producing bad grapes, and so the owner of the vineyard, he had to do, he just destroyed the entire vineyard. Okay, so that, that was the illustration. It was a picture of God's judgment against his people because they kept producing bad fruit and not good fruit. And we know, and you can see it in the Isaiah passage, you can see it even in other parts of scripture, that God feels a deep sense of sorrow. He is sorrowful when people, uh, when people reject him. And it's not like I feel sorry for myself, like we often feel like, oh, I'm just eating my heart out, you know, with my bag of Doritos. No, it's, it's he feels a sense, a deep sense of sorrow because he knows the impact that it's going to have on his people or any person who rejects him. He knows where that road ends. And God's desire is that all people would come, come into alignment, be, bear good fruit within his kingdom. But, but they, people, um, certainly did not do that. Now, in Luke 19 we get another picture of the triumphal entry, which is the context for this passage today. And Luke gives us another detail that I think is important to help us understanding God's heart. And you can see that. So I want to look at Luke 19. Can we pull that up? So this is Luke's version of the triumphal entry after he approached Jerusalem. So it says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. He wept over it. Just see the picture. Just picture Jesus now. He's coming into the city He's, he's walking up this city, this giant city, and he's coming into the city, and he's weeping. I mean, you, loud, tears streaming down his face. And he says this, if you, even you, had only known on this day, and he's speaking through the lens of, of God, you know, throughout all, all of history. If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it is now hidden from your eyes. 
the days will come upon you when your enemies, and he's looking into the future, just years into the future about what's going to happen. He's seeing prophetically. When your enemy, when Rome comes and conquers, I mean, it is a, is a total mess. But when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God himself was in the flesh before him, the Prince of Peace, and yet they rejected him for who he was. And how many times that we can say, wow, man, they've really missed it. They, they blew it. And how many times in our life have we had, we've had the presence of God, we've been at, uh, we, we realize that God is all that God has done for us after you know, the death and the resurrection, but that we do not recognize God's presence in our life in the very moments that are most difficult. We forget. We don't recognize God's coming to us or that he has coming to us as well. So this is, a, um, I think, a good wake-up call for many of us. So the servants here, so the servants of the landowner, basically they represent, and they sit in multiple groups. So if you understand the history of Israel, they represent the prophets. So we're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, you know, you can list them, Isaiah, Amos, Joel, all, Habakkuk, all, the, all these prophets of the Old Testament, known and unknown, who have written books and not, they would go to God's people and they would be abused, they would be persecuted, they would be thrown in wells, they would be stoned, they would be hung, they would be mistreated. And this is the way that God's servants were treated. They were rejected again and again and again. And God and his word was rejected by his very own people. And you could read, you know, like Hosea, for example, is a, the unfaithful uh, wife who, who marries a prostitute on purpose to, to represent the, the rejection that he has experienced and the emotional pain that he's gone through in being rejected by the one or the people that, that, that he loves. And so at this point in the story, it takes an interesting twist. We, I mean, we just read it. But people are expecting, okay, once he sent all the servants, if you're going to send your son... The son's going to come and do business. He's going to be armed. He's going to come with a, an army. And he's, but that's not what happens here. It's very interesting. And so culturally, in the minds of the listeners to the story, they're expecting the son's going to come with a knife. He's going to come with whatever um, the best uh, weapons were at the time. And the expected response is that he would immediately bring destruction. But that, in fact, is not what happens. It's a detail that the listeners would not miss out on. He, the son comes, and he's vulnerable. He comes unarmed, apparently, because he doesn't, he doesn't retaliate. And he comes so, and, and in a shame-based culture, in Mediterranean, ancient Near East culture, uh, which is a shame-based culture, honor is one of the highest values. And so what is actually happening uh, contextually is what this, the father, the, the father is doing, landowner, he's sending his son in order to give him one last chance and to appeal to their sense of honor. And he can see that. They'll, they'll respect my son. Why, why would he say that? It's because contextually in that historical concept, that's exactly what would happen. There would be unthinkable that if you send your son, that they would do, do this to his son. But th that's what they, he did. And he sent them in a very vulnerable position, purposefully in the hopes that it would kind of awaken the attendant sense of honor. But certainly, as the story goes, it's not what happened. So, what are these renters? The renters came to believe 
that because they had physical possession of this vineyard, because they were kind of working it, working the deals, they were selling them uh, the fruit, they kind of forgot they were just renters. You know, and, and part of it is that, listen, what God is, Jesus is saying is here, you don't, even your own life, you don't own your life. Did you ever think about that? You, you're not the owner of your life. You're given freedom, but you're given a certain time frame to do with the life that God has given to you, but it's only on loan. God owns your life. He created you and he can do as he wants with each of us. And he's given us a tremendous amount of freedom within that, within that time frame, whatever, you know, count your days. And uh, they, they forgot. They totally lost track of that. You know, it's interesting this week, one of my kids, I bought him some, uh, some special drink. They like to go to the store. They get this drink. And I bought him this, this drink. And, uh, and they, I don't know, they, they kind of took ownership of it. You know, this is my drink. And so I wanted to get one of these drinks. And he's like, well, you have to pay me $5. Pay you $5 for the drink I bought for you? I, you're thinking... Son, I think you're getting things a little mixed up here. You know, I can drink this if I want to. I bought this with my money. So we kind of get confused, don't we? We forget who's the owner. You know, who's, who's the boss here? And it's not us. God is the boss. And so we get this interesting picture as God sends his son. It's this picture of two things simultaneously. It's a picture of extravagant grace. God sent his own, he sent his servants, he gives us creation, he gives us his common grace, and he sent his son Jesus to each of us. He gives, God wants to give every person, every single last chance they can to turn to him and to repent and to believe in who he is. That's the heart of God, and he is sorrowful and tearful and, and mourns over the people who have turned away from him, first the Jews, then the Gentiles. But there's going to come a time that if you refuse the grace of God, if you refuse to recognize the landowner and you want your own independence and you want to own the land and you want to do with the grace what you want to do, that judgment's going to come. And as the people said, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Jesus does not deny that. And so simultaneously in this picture, in this parable, we see two things, the extravagant grace of God, but the reality of divine judgment that is coming for every human being who does not turn and recognize who God is, particularly in the person of Jesus himself. And so it is a sobering illustration, and he's, he's directing this to the Pharisees themselves as to, to, to get, give them the message. These people who are going to reject him and kill him, these parables, it seemed very judge, like he was judging the Pharisees. But in fact, the parables were grace to the Pharisees because they were giving them a chance to turn. They were giving them a chance to see who Jesus, in fact, Jesus, Jesus was. And uh, this inheritance, which is the kingdom of God, would be given to others. And so God, perhaps you're here, and God has been knocking at the door of your heart. He sends you his messengers. He sends you... Uh, someone to share God's love, a message about Jesus, something that might be true or encouraging, or maybe it's a correction, except you keep holding back. You want the independence of your own life. Let this message that Jesus brings here be an invitation into the extravagant grace of God. Time is running out. Time is short. The time is now to turn and give our lives to Jesus. 
So as we move on here, Psalm 18, and so he, this key phrase that he used, the stone the builders rejected, actually that's a phrase that comes from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118, are act, the actual phrases in that psalm, if you read it, it's pretty cool, those are the phrases that are used in the triumphal entry. And so Jesus is contextualizing the triumphal entry, which has happened in, uh, in this speech to, uh, to the Pharisees and to the people there. Like, shouts like, Hosanna, God saves, blessed be who enters the name of the Lord. If you look at it in Psalm 118, that, that middle section there, you'll see all of that uh, imagery, which is beautifully, inter- intricately connected. It, it's wonderful. But what ended up happening? And what is, this, what is this stone that the builders rejected Jesus talking about that people will crush against or that will crush you? If you it's like trying to, to punch a boulder. I mean, you're not going to win. I mean, you could punch the boulder as many times as you want. You're, it's not going to go well for you. And this is what it's like in the kingdom and coming against who Jesus is. But what happened during Holy Week? And we're going to, by, by the way, we're going to take communion in a moment. And we're going to remember soberly and humbly all that, all that Jesus had done. But Jesus was, was rejected, yes, certainly by the religious authorities. But he himself was also rejected by his friends. He was abandoned by his friends. He was flogged to the point of death. He was ridiculed and spat on by Roman soldiers while he was bleeding and in pain. And then it was after that he was tortured and mercy, mercilessly hung on a cross, naked, shamed in, 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 in public, just like a common criminal. And that makes things worse. While he was on the cross, the words of Jesus himself is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think any, more than any human being, being God, yes, Jesus understands what it means to be rejected. And if you take any comfort I'll, should, I'll read this again, but Hebrews 12.3 says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One of the thoughts when I've experienced pain or rejection is, Jesus, I know that you've experienced what I've experienced, but much worse. Thank you for your presence in my life. Jesus himself was forsaken so that we wouldn't be. And in fact, the great mystery of Holy Week is that Jesus was rejected by men so that we could be accepted by God. That is the good news, my friends, is Jesus purposely put in himself in this place of rejection so that we could be ultimately accepted by him in his presence. And this horrific experience he went to ended up being the redemption of, of humanity and all of us. Um, I love that how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. It says, we were once foreigners and aliens, but now we are fellow citizens with God's people built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are members of his household. All right, so that's the good news, and that's the invitation for all of us. And if you have yet to give your life and say yes to the invitation, Jesus, today is better than any day, and you can do that by taking communion with us. Communion, when we take communion, we recognize this act of love, sacrificial love that Jesus made so that we could be made right with him again. But you might be thinking, okay, great. I understand that. I understand the theology, the thinking behind that. I've heard that before. But what about all the pain? What about all the pain I'm going through? You see, the tempta- when you're dealing with rejection, the temptation is to actually to do the same thing to others 
that has done, been done to you. You may have heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. But it's the same. People who have been rejected will reject other people. That's, it's a cycle. Unless we deal with our inner stuff, unless you deal with those rejection issues that are in your heart and in your life, we're going to keep living them out in the same cycles and patterns again and again and again. So, for example, what happened to my, one of my kids this week? I can't let my son being held at knife point, and this wasn't the first time this one particular individual did something that was inappropriate. I mean, just to use a euphemistic phrase there, to my kid. I can't let that and the anger that I felt turn into bitterness and unforgiveness towards him. We have an opportunity here, whether we want to receive and see the grace that Jesus has for us, just like in Sloan's story. She could be the, the PJ version of herself, or the, post, I guess, post-Jesus would also be PJ, or the PJ version of her son. <laughs> oh, AJ. No, don't be PJ. Be AJ. Mom, what'd you learn at church today? I, sh- I should be like AJ and not PJ. What is that supposed to mean? That doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing, guys. If, if you want to know if you carry this spirit, if you have something in you that has this reject, you want to reject other people that's in you, then you might be carrying a spirit of rejection that need, and that needs to be resolved. You need to deal with that issue in your life. If you get easily offended, if someone does something, whether it's right or wrong, do you feel that, I just want to reject, you want to, is cancel culture living in your heart? You might be dealing with a spirit of rejection. You know, many people, most people today don't know how to deal with rejection issues. So they'll go on long rants on Facebook where all the other old people can read what they have to say. You know, they, some people deal with it like they think their life is so hard they need to get drunk or they need to get high in order to make themselves feel better. You know, some people need to escape. They escape to their, their sexual fantasy land and pornography or they try to escape in indulging themselves in eating or they try to escape by, uh, you know, just lashing out at the people around them. Just, I have an excuse to be a jerk because I've been treated that way. So I, I, I'm justified in being a jerk to the people closest to me. Or my life is so painful, you know, the only solution that I have is to reject everyone around me, and then I can just protect myself. And in many ways, that's a self-protection mechanism, isn't it? I think psychologists could go into more details about how that works. But that's the way we, we act. And what happens is those feelings of rejection, they turn into bitterness, they turn into unforgiveness, they turn into condemnation, and we become judgmental people. And in fact, ironically, we become the very kind of people that were originally hurt us in the first place. But Jesus, the good news of Jesus is he came to stop the cycle. Yeah. You see, Jesus came to accept those that people have rejected. The good news is that Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. And this isn't, just, this isn't just some future supernatural reality when we get to heaven. Jesus came, when salva- the word salvation, sozo, it's salvation not just for eternity, but eternity, I mean future eternity, it's now. Jesus came to bring you salvation from your actual sins that you're dealing with right now. Meaning the feelings of rejection that you deal with and those emotions 
that you, you wrestle with every day, Jesus and his presence is available if you make yourself uh, submitted to him in humility and, and let go of the, the, the ownership of the vineyard. You got to let go of the vineyard. You got to let him grow the grapes and he will produce the good fruit that God wants in each of our lives. And what's the good fruit? Well, in, Isaiah, in the Isaiah passage, 5 passage, he talks about verse 5, 7, if you want to look it up. And they're the two fruits that he's looking for are justice and righteousness. And Psalm 97, 2, it says, justice and righteousness are actually the foundations of his throne, which means this is the way that God leads in his kingdom. He leads with justice and righteousness. And what righteousness is is simply right, it's not just about doing the right thing or being right. It's about being rightly related to God and being rightly related to other people. And so one thing that God's word is really clear with, particularly the Gospel of John, and John in the Johannine literature there, is you can't say that you love God if you hate and harbor bitterness towards people. If you hate your brother, and you say you love God, you're lying to yourself. Because those are intricately, inexplicably connected to one another. And then biblical justice, well... It's believing that God is the one who's going to take vengeance and sort things out. That, well, biblical justice is that simply God's the judge. So you don't need to be the judge. Guess what? You're free. You don't have to judge anyone anymore because God's the judge. He's, he's the guy. So let him do the judging. Let him take the vengeance. In fact, there's, a, I forget which scripture is, um, I don't know if I wrote it down, but Psalm 90 something or other, I was reading it this week. God is the original avenger. It is I who takes a vengeance. So God was the, is an avenger. And we can trust him to be our superhero and come to our rescue so that we don't have to do it. We don't have to hold on to all of that bitterness. We, we instead can adopt a humble, proactive posture of kindness and engage our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and love and show kindness to people who treat us in a difficult way because Jesus frees us to do that. It's his extravagant love. And once we've truly accepted, not just the theory this isn't just information. Like Teresa said, I love it. It's not just information or an obligation. It's an invitation to transformation. God's presence and what Jesus has done, his salvation and our process of redemption is part of the package. But we need to participate and cooperate with him so that the rejection can be set aside and we can become the true selves that God has called us to be. And really, if you think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or to grow as a son of God, your, process, your spiritual life is a process of understanding yourself as not being a rejected person, but being an accepted person by God. And again, this happens in your heart, deep in your soul. And only God can do this work. And this is the invitation for all of us. And I believe God wants to do that. I believe God wants to do it here today. I believe he wants to break off some rejection spirits. A lot of this is deeper. It's not going to all happen today. There's some process. And if you're in process, and this is... You need to be intentional about participating with God's work in you. We have uh, a deliverance and inner healing prayer ministry, which is kind of getting ramped up. That's an invitation there. We have small groups where you can pray regularly and consistently. Sometimes you just got to keep chipping and chipping and chipping away at these things. I mean, um, Sloan had mentioned in her own story, and I've known her, she has worked so faithfully uh, to, I mean, what have you been a believer, what, 20 years or something like that? Yeah, I mean... Still working at it, but she, the experience, the freedom that she's had, but she's still working on it. We're all still working on it. We have to be intentional and let God keep chipping away at it. So we as a church can offer that. For some of you, these issues, talking to a counselor, talking to someone 
um, like a therapist, might be helpful for you in your particular instance, depending on your, your circumstances, to the right people who can now point you in the right direction and put before you both the grace of God and the truth of God. Jesus says this in Matthew, and we're going to take communion in just a second. So have you been insulted? Have you been rejected? I want to read this to you again. Just let the truth of this verse wash over you. Hebrews 12.3 Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, it's interesting. God likes to use those who are rejected by people in powerful ways. I don't know if you uh, celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Um, our family ate some uh, corned beef and cabbage, uh, green jello with little uh, pineapple bits in it. It's just delicious. That's how you're supposed to celebrate it, by the way. Uh, but St. Patrick, powerful, I mean, basically used by God to change an entire nation. Reject a prisoner. Years and years. Persecution, horrible. And if you've experienced rejection, maybe, and perhaps, the greater levels of rejection you've experienced is actually, there's some good news in that. Because God wants to use that in your life to bring freedom, not only acceptance to your life, but to many, many others. But it's your choice whether you want to let it drown you and send you into a pit of bitterness and despair or let God use it as you walk out his redemptive plan for your life and the lives of others. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. What I want to do is take some time to do some business with Jesus. And uh, we're going to do communion too in a second. I, I felt like typically we've done communion at the beginning, worship, but I just felt like it was very appropriate as we thematically and what the Holy Spirit was doing to do it now. Okay, so we're going to do that in a moment, but I want to take just a moment of silence to allow you to do your business with Jesus. Okay, let's be honest here. We've all got rejection issues. Okay, I want you to bring it before the Lord. And we're, and we're, going, to, we're going to pray through that. Okay, we're just let, let the Lord touch on it, okay? All right, so Holy Spirit, would you come? I pray that you would you would reveal right now in this moment an issue that you want to bring your salvation to. A real, tangible hurt or issue of rejection that we're dealing with that you want to address right now in this moment. So bring that to mind, God. Come Holy Spirit. We'll give you some, some time. I'll just be quiet for a little bit.
So come Holy Spirit now. I pray that you would put power on your word and bring healing. So I want to read over you a, a verse, actually two verses, and I want to pray. But if we do so, I want to invite you, if you want to receive something from God, if you just put your hand, like, just like you're going to receive a gift from God, if you want to put your hands up. It's, it's a way, it's a physical way that you represent a spiritual reality. If you want to receive what God wants to give you right now, just once you put your hands up, I want to read this scripture and then I'll, and I'll pray. Okay, receive this truth to your, into your souls and deep into your hearts, church. This is the word of God. This is the truth. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now receive this, this truth. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just let that sit and seep into your soul for a moment. So in Jesus' name, church, I speak this word of adoption and acceptance, that you are accepted by God because of what Jesus has done. You are justified by the blood of Jesus. Now receive a spirit of adoption now in Jesus' name. Spirit of rejection be gone. Leave in the name and by the authority of Jesus Christ, spirit of rejection be gone. Anyone who has been sitting with the spirit of rejection, we command you in Jesus' name to be completely gone, to dissipate and never come back again. Receive the goodness of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ that you are fully accepted and in him. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't accept the condemnation that is not of God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, precious Jesus, that you've accepted us and made us right by your blood.